So I'm talking about eight things to remember during tough times. This is part six. I had planned this to be one night, and this is part six. So tonight, hard times aid character development. We'll get there, but uh, an addendum to Sunday mornings as I've been talking about faith uh, for three Sundays, and this coming Sunday, I got one more, one more time, and I want to mention something that I, I've heard, and it's just in talking and tooling around, listening to people is... Um, you know, if you say, and I've been emphasizing, you know, believing right now that you receive what God promises you in prayer. So when you pray, don't look to the future, believe you got it now, right? So, so some people struggle with that. So, so I'll just, and I'll bring this up Sunday probably, but if you struggle with that, the, the, the problem is go back to the word, meditate in the word and build your faith up. Does that make sense? If you're struggling with acting in faith and believing that God's answered your prayer, go back to the scriptures. That's the only place faith comes. I can't lay hands on you and give you faith. You can't pray and ask God for faith. You got to get your nose right there in the book. And you got to read and read and meditate. When you do that, it builds your faith up. And then when you pray, you can stand your ground and believe God's done what it looks like and feels like hasn't happened yet. Does that make sense? So that was all free, not even my subject, but anyway. So tonight, eight things to remember during tough times. Our character, again, is formed in tests and hard places. We endure. So if you want to be used by God, you know, you got to be willing to go through some struggles, and that's just the way life is. I'm going to read this again, 1 Peter 5, 10, as I do each week. But after you suffered a little while, practical Peter says, the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory through Christ Jesus will restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. So look what happens when you, when you go through a hard place. You get restored. God supports you, he strengthens you, and then establishes you in the faith. You just get stronger. So you think something that's uh, aggravating makes you weaker. No, 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 it makes you stronger, just like the resistance on your muscles when you go work out at the gym, right? So tough times are training times. Uh, we talked about that um, uh, June 14th, June 28th. We're not immune from hardship. And so uh, let me mention this. I'll mention it every week. When I talk about suffering and difficulty, hardship, I'm not talking about sickness, disease, calamity, disasters. I'm just talking about being in a place that for you may feel like round peg square hole. It's difficult. It's not what you like. You're not around the people you want to be around. The circumstances are less than exemplary for you. And it's just aggravating you, silly. That, that sounds like a horrible place to be, but actually it's a great place. My first job was at a grocery grocery store and this just came to my mind and uh and I, I and during that time I was in school college and um and I was in the meat market to start with and they butchered their own beef and it was really interesting but then I went to the grocery store side but we had a manager and I just everybody called him bulldog because it looked like a bulldog and he acted like mean you know like a bulldog and uh so all the guys you know little guys teenage guys and in college and stuff and 
And, uh, and so I got to belly. I came to the Lord there. And once I came to the Lord, I said, God, you know, we just, I, I just need another job. I need another job. I can't stand working here. It's so hard. This guy's so mean. He puts so much onus on all of us to perform, 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 get it done, get it done. And he's never happy, never satisfied. And then these guys I work around, they're just nuts. They're just crazy. And I said, God, let's need another place. And you know what? I could feel the Lord say, no, no, you don't need another place. You need to stay where you at to develop. Because salt does no good in the shaker. And if all I did was give you what you want, you would never change. So I got the message. You got it? So um, anyway, we're not immune from hardship. Jesus endured two kinds of suffering, circumstantial sufferings, and then substitutionary suffering. So he became our sin. He became our sickness so that we could be healed and we could be free from our sin. Now, we don't suffer from sin. We don't have to suffer sickness and disease. And that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about tests and trials because Jesus bore that, bore that substitutionally for us. But the circumstantial sufferings are, are what we also are a part of with Jesus. We go through the hardships of life. Number, the second thing I mentioned is um, our journey through life is often filled with hard places. So we talked about that. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you all this, that you may have peace in me. On earth, you'll have trials, sorrows. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Number three, there's eight points to this. Sometimes God allows us to go through the hard place. And I've mentioned there, uh, the eagle and what it does with its young, knocking them out of the nest so they uh, develop the muscles of their wings so they can they can uh, go and forage their own food because eventually mom wouldn't be able to feed them and they would die of starvation. So what seems to be awful is actually awesome for the little eaglets. And so that's the way the Lord is with us. If everybody did everything for us, we'd never grow. So he puts us in a place where it seems difficult so we can grow. Number four, our response determines what the tough times produce in us. So I've said this about myself and I've thought about, I think thought about it a lot throughout my life. What life finds in me determines what life does to me. So, so all of us, none of us are immune from challenges and, and you can't, you know, make people be nice to you, but see, my response is not based on the circumstance. My response is based on what's in me. And if you put, G, you got Jesus in, you put the word in you, develop the fruit of the spirit, develop the love of God, develop the word in you. And you know what? It'll help you to be able to endure the challenges. Do we see the cup, cup fat, half full or half empty? So we talked about this and I've got to read this because it's one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, as we talked about that, James 1, 2, Phillips translation, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders. But what do you do? Welcome them as friends hot dog. Realize they come to test your faith, producing you quality of endurance. So again, you know, you see uh, challenges as friends. See, that's a different concept. First time I read it, I thought, you got to be joking. Ain't no way. But through life, I've seen, you know, if you just realize that it's going to help you, then you can understand a better way to go through a challenging time. Number five, we mentioned last week, God will make a way for you when the test is on. There are two things that help us when we're going through a hard place, and we need both of them. Uh, the first uh, thing that we need, we need friends, true friends that understand you and understand who you are. It's a place you can vent. It's a person that will have your back. It's a person you can confide in. All of us need that. If you don't have good friends, then you're missing a uh, something huge in life. We talked about that in fair detail last week. Iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 17, 20, uh, 17 says, 
Proverbs 27, 17 says. And then the second thing we need is God's promises. We need hope that if you're going through a hard place, you're going to get through the other side. And I uh, gave an illustration last week of a hard place I was in in, in my early 30s and how, uh, how God just kind of grabbed me by the ear and said, come here, boy, and took me out back in my backyard and, and just gave me just a bunch of scripture and said, I want you to get a hold of this. And I wrote those scriptures down when he gave them to me. My life since then Every time I've gone through a difficult time, I, I go back to the scriptures and I meditate them. I've, I now have chronicled them. I've got a certain place on my iPad to go to and it's meditation scriptures. And that's part of them. I meditate on the scriptures because you always have a hard place sometime or the other. Psalm 37, 39, salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Is that good news? And the Lord will help them, deliver them. He'll tr deliver them from the wicked, save them because they trust in him. Tonight, number six is what I'll get to. I'm not sure I'll get to seven. Number six, point six in um, eight things to remember during tough times is if you allow them, I'm going to bear this point home, hard times aid, character development. I can either let the hard place uh, allow me to be bitter or I can be better, right? So, and I was just thinking about this year. It could be, and this scripture has been uh, challenging. I'm wondering, God, how are you going to do that? And, and why did Paul say this in Ephesians 5? Perhaps the hardships we incur now, just before Jesus comes back, as it seems like we're going into a quite difficult time, some of that's already begun, but that challenging time just prior to the rapture of the church when we're called away, perhaps, perhaps that is... Um, that will produce a fulfillment of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to this. And he starts out talking about husbands and wives, and then he changes. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 26, that he might, Jesus might sanctify and cleanse her, talking about the church. Her by the washing of water by the word, and then verse 27, that he, Jesus, might present her, the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, should be holy and without blemish. And I've read that scripture all my life thinking, there's a lot of wrinkles, Lord. There's a lot of spots, <laughs> You just look, look at me. I got lots of wrinkles and spots. What's going to happen? If he's coming for spotless people and wrinkleless people, geez, and I'm getting wrinklier as I age. What if, no, he's not talking about that. But you see what I'm saying? So it perhaps the challenges we face just before Jesus comes back, they hone our character to the point that when we get to heaven, it's like, ah, even so, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Isn't that awesome to think about? Anyway, um, the first a passage here I want to mention tonight. I've got several translations and I did not put in my notes, New King James, but I'm going to start with it because there's one word that I want to hone in on. Romans 5, 3 through 4, speaking of character development. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. That word tribulations is the uh, Greek word thlipsis, and it really means pressure. And really, uh, really in Roman times, you've heard me say this, a good person, they lay a person down on the ground that they want to aggravate, you know, and uh, maybe get some information out of, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a terrorist or whatever. They lay them on the ground and they put a big boulder on their, on their, on their, on their chest. And the boulder constricts their ability to breathe. So that to breathe becomes very difficult. It's labored breathing. That's thlipsis. That's pressure. Okay? 
that is tribulations. And that's what I was talking about. Something that constricts you and makes it difficult. That's what, but we glory in hard places knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And that word perseverance is, is a, I studied this out way back years and years ago, probably 30 years ago. Um, it's the Greek word hupomene. Hupo means under and meno. Uh, it's translated in the New Testament most frequently abide or remain. So you remember in John 15, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide, that's that word meno, okay? It means, it means something that's so subtle it's not going anywhere. When you put those two words together, hupomene, it means to remain when you're under, remain when the going gets tough. Remain when it feels like there's a boulder on your chest. Remain when the, when the pressure is there. You don't go anywhere. You're not planning on bailing. You're not planning on going anywhere. You're, you're persevering, enduring. It's also translated endurance. Is that good? And then perseverance, character, character, hope. Passion's translation, passion translation of this, this passage, three through five, says this, and I love the way he puts it. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have joy, a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And that's that word, hupomene. And patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fancy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. My notes are also online, so you can go online and follow me if you like. Might be helpful. Message paraphrase of this passage says this, and it's really good. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. And that's what Leah brought out tonight in her five-minute thing, right? Because we know how troubles can develop. I've never read this before. Passionate patience. What does passionate patience look like? Is that a person who's joyful, perhaps gleeful? A person perhaps even singing when they should be frowning and crying and belly aching? Passionate patience? Are you kidding me? How many want some passionate patience? Don't answer can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue. That's great. Keeping us alert for whatever God will do uh, in alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. I think that's awesome. And then Amplified New Testament, I can't leave that out. Romans 5 says this. Moreover, let us be joy, full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patience and unswerving endurance. And endurance or fortitude uh, develops maturity of character, approved faith and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. So again, we think about the idea when, when life is uh, not fun or fair and you feel challenged and pressured and pressed, uh, think of it as a character development time. Think of it like, you know, uh, maybe you get up in the morning and you're your way of living is you go into the gym and, and so you're going to work out on that treadmill or you're going to pump some weights and, or maybe you're going to run on a treadmill or whatever and, and you go in there thinking, oh, this ain't going to be fun today. 
I'm going to sweat and I don't feel like it. But you go in there and do it because you know it's going to produce something. It's going to produce agility. It's going to produce physical strength because when you sow, when you sow strength, you reap strength. Is that true? And so think, think of hardship like that. I'm going into this thing. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't looking for it. Yesterday, I wasn't here. Suddenly, it appeared today. God, you, you must be going to be doing something great in me. See yourself walking into the door of a spiritual gym. And you know what? I'm coming back out of this door a different person. A little bit sweaty, a little bit smelly, but a whole lot better, right? So, question. Having said all that, in what area of life Ask yourself this, is my current circumstance producing pressure? So when pressure comes, it produces flaws. And I've shared this illustration many times with my pastor in Tulsa back 30-something years ago. Bobby Andin uh, worked, worked in, a, in a, a pipe factory, and they actually made piping for the oil industry. And of course, in Oklahoma, there's lots of oil, and you can see the... You can see the, um, uh, the machines moving up and down in the landscape as you're traveling here and there. But uh, so he made, the, he made the pipes work for a place when he was young and when he was in school. And he said they would put steam into the pipes and hook, hook, a, hook a, um, a hose on one end, the other end. And they would just turn up the PSI, pound per square inch of steam in the pipes. And these pipes uh, had to undergo tremendous pressure testing because they, they put top, the pipes down into the ground um, to bore for the oil they had to be able to endure. And so he said, all the pipes look perfect, stainless steel perfect, look great. They're all in a line. They got all the, his job was to hook the hoses to each ends of the pipe. And, uh, and then somebody would come and they would, once he had them hooked up, they would start slowly, slowly, slowly turning up the PSI, the pounds per square inch of the, of the steam in the pipes. And for a while, everything looked fine. You know, you got 1,000 PSI, 1,500, 2,000, 20. Well, he said, he said 2,500, but then we started getting towards 3,000 PSI. And then way a lot more than that, as they keep turning that knob, increasing the pressure, all of a sudden these perfect pipes that looked like they had no flaws, and you got these little pinholes that would occur, and steam would shoot out of the pinholes. And before you know it, uh, a number of the pipes had pinholes throughout them, but the only thing that revealed the pinholes was the pressure. Now, isn't that just like life? You're looking mighty fine tonight. Well, what do you look like when somebody presses you? When you don't get what you want at the job or you don't get what you want at home. When the husband or wife doesn't treat you the way you think you ought to be treated or you feel like you've been unjustly dealt with and, or something has been unfair to you. What happens then? That's when the happens in our life too, right? You get it? So, um, you know, another thing about pressure Pain looks for pleasure. And so the pain that we undergo when, when life is hard, you know, it, it reveals the flaws in us. And, and we're looking for an escape mechanism, a relief valve, as it were. And that relief valve you're looking for could be the very thing that God wants to hone out of your life. So I've got a list here. He can put them on the screen. I don't know if they're already up there or one at a time. He's got them all. Stone with under. Anger. Do you know anger can be a relief valve? 
Anger is expressed in two ways. Some people express anger with wrath. Wrath is uh, anger displayed. It could be boisterous. It could be loud. It could be engaging in a shouting match or one-upmanship in the way you talk. Somebody answers and you answer back a little bit more firmly, a little bit more strongly. That's anger, right? There's another anger that's subtle and it's silenced. You notice sometimes when a person goes into the silent mode, that's anger internalized. How many know it might be even more dangerous than the, the anger expressed because it can cause physical problems, right? So again, you're going through the pressure time. Some people may have to deal with anger, wrath, or silence, impatience. And all of us can use some more patience, right? I encourage you not to pray about it because you'll get more than you want. Uh, I'm joking. Selfishness. You know, the pressure can, you know, reveal selfishness in your life. I've had so many things I've gone through in life, and, you know, I've seen the selfish twinges in me. I've seen how I wanted to get my way at the expense of, uh, of someone else getting what they needed, or, or it could be in any vein of life, whether it was on a job I had, or it was home dealing with my children or dealing with Susan. Pressure reveals impatience in life many times. Is that true? Or you maybe have to deal with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, selfishness, or or, or you may be a person that self-medicates when the pressure's on and you're looking for something to plug that pinhole. It may be overeating. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people, they buy stuff at the grocery store. If you want to change your diet, start at the grocery store. They buy the good feeling food at the grocery store because they know good and well, I'm going to be tired one day and somebody's going to say something at work like to say every week and I'm going to go get that bag of chips and we're going to tear it up all in one sitting right? Or I'm just saying overeating could be other things other than chips. Alcohol. A lot of people abuse alcohol and drugs and they're looking for something to help them deal with the pain that life has brought because the pressure is there, right? Over-the-counter medications as well. Self-pity can, uh, can be produced by pressure. And, uh, you know, I know about that because when I was a little boy, uh, I don't like to reveal this, but I was full of self-pity as a kid. I was constantly picked on, constantly, mercilessly, because I was young and I was wasn't agile when I was when I was a, a small boy, and uh, and uh, people took advantage of me, picked on me mercilessly again, and I went into the self-pity mode because I wanted I wanted somebody older, I wanted the teachers to pity me because the way other people treated me and. You know, God had to deal with me, and my parents dealt with me about that as well. I don't need to live in self-pity. You might be a person that rises up in self-pity so, so people will feel sorry for you. You need to get over that. Let me tell you, self-pity will quench the Holy Spirit in your life. Self-pity is actually a, a self-absorbed person, a person involved in self-pity. All they're thinking about is themselves. It's self-centeredness. So something to think about. Overspending. Some people, well, you know what? We're gonna get on, we're gonna go get on Amazon tonight and we're gonna buy 10 things, you know? Or your favorite store and uh, whatever. So it could be overspending. Uh, a lot of people, when pressure comes, another way to to uh, you know stick stick something in those pinholes that are created is withdrawal and isolation. They just get quiet. Don't want to be around anybody. How many know that's a dangerous thing to do? Because when you isolate yourself when you're with your own thoughts, if they're not godly thoughts, your thoughts can hurt you. Yes or no? That's where a lot of people are today and because of the lockdowns years ago. And I think that was a horrible thing. I'm just going to express my opinion. That's my opinion. <laughs> it was a horrible thing for, for us to be isolated from each other 
during the COVID thing. It caused so many mental issues with a lot of people with fears and, and such, not only children, but adults as well. And some people are still in that mode. Is it true? Withdrawal and isolation. What do you do? What do you do with a prisoner, for instance, um, who are, who's acting out in prison? Put him in isolation. Solitary confinement is one of the worst, uh, punishments anybody could ever endure. Is that right? So, you know, want to do that. Then blame shifting. A lot of people get into the blame shifting mode, the attack mode, and they attack people. Or the uh, modern word for blame shifting is gaslighting. You, you, you frame things in such a way, there's a problem. You actually did whatever you shouldn't have done. Maybe, maybe, you, uh, maybe you didn't perform well, but instead of taking responsibility, you blame everybody around you instead of accepting responsibility yourself. How many know that that is harmful in and of itself? So that could be, that could be one of the pressures. I'm just talking about the pressures that come or the, the things that, the issues that rise up in life because of the pressures that hardship brings. And those are the things that God wants to remove out of our life. Romans 8, 28, Amplified says this, we are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Every single thing that produces uh, pressure can produce a positive change. How many can believe that? If we humble ourselves and we yield to God in prayer. A message paraphrase of that verse, that's why we can be sure that every detail of our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Isn't that great? Passion translation. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. We are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. So, you know, uh, when you look at life this way, uh, the fact that challenge can produce gain and can really help us spiritually and develop our character. You know, if you, you can see it this way, the person that aggravates you the most may be the person that helps you in life the most. Your biggest antagonist, you might be married to the person that aggravates you the most. Or it may be one of you, it might be one of your children that aggravates you the most. How many hear what I'm saying? And you know, that very person, it may be somebody on the job. It may be a, bo it may be a boss. It may be a co, uh, uh, co-worker or whatever. But again, those people that aggravate uh, the, us the most are the ones that often help us the most. Just something to think about. Um, a job can be a character refiner. Maybe you're in a place in a job and you don't like what you're doing. You don't like, again, like I said earlier, the people that you're with. You don't like your boss. You don't like the company. You don't know what, you don't like what they stand for, yada, 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 yada. That could be a character refiner for you. You're the very job you're on. And as I said earlier, that I had that one time, I hadn't known the Lord. Man, I had known the Lord a month when I was belly aching, ready to bail on my job. And I mean, I sensed the Lord saying, you ain't going anywhere, guy. <laughs> he going to stay right there because you need some character definition in your life. How many know what uh, your church relationships can be a character refiner? I didn't even go over it all. Did you know that people that hop from church to church, and this is a, this is a phenomenon in the United States of America, there are churches almost on every corner in every city. Is it true? And you know what I know? I've been in ministry since 1981. 
Do you know how many people I've seen come and go in what in whatever church I've been a part of, in whatever capacity I've been a part of? I mean, people enter a church, stay there a while, and then they leave. And they go to another one, stay there a while, and then they leave. And then they stay in that one for a while. So let me say, whether you're online or in the room, if you're a church church hopper, what are you running from? Here's what normally happens. There's a relationship. A person gets involved in volunteering and helping the church do what they do to reach out to the community and, you know, aid people as they come and be ministered to through the word. And then, and then some relationship goes south or, or sour or the leadership of the church does something that they'd rather not do that way, them do it that way. Or the pastor says something that they don't agree with and they bail and go somewhere else. Do you know how frequently that happens? Do did you know almost 100% of the time when you bail from a church, can I talk about this a minute? Because of something you don't like, you just missed a golden opportunity to develop character. I didn't even think about this when I was preparing, but did you know I was, in, uh, I was on staff at that large church I talk about in Tulsa for yeah, six years, and uh, I became one of the pastoral staff team. And, 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 you know, we had a big staff. I think we had 54 staff members, big church. A lot of people had a Christian school, had all kind of, had a, had a ministry school, had all kind of things going on. And uh, I was in the inner workings of the church and I was at every service. I was there all the time. I mean, I spilled my guts right there all the time. You know, Susan and I, you know, grew up there and we had babies there, our first two children there. And uh, life was really, really busy and, um, and I, and I saw I saw people that, and in fact, while I was there, I was on staff. This is what I wanted to say. Uh, I saw so many things I disagreed with about the pastor, and I kept a journal. I still have. You will never see my journal. <laughs> Nobody will. And boy, I, I, I wrote down, well, you know, this church is doing this. The pastor's value is this. The, you know, the standard, is, standard process is this. We're doing this. I think we ought to change this, 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 this. I'm praying for pastor. What does he know? What I didn't do is I never told anybody. And as I wrote it down, see, I had to go to my prayer closet. The Lord would say, you need to shut, hush your mouth. And you need to pray for your pastor because you think you know a lot, but you don't know nearly as you th much as you think you do. Do you hear me? And years later, I go back to that journal. Man, I almost hide my head in shame because you know what? The very things that the pastor was doing, the very, very things that the church were involved in and the ways they did things, looking back on it now with a little bit of growth and a little bit of spiritual maturity, I could see, you know, he was exactly right. And going back to that period of time, knowing what I would know now, I would have done the same thing. So don't judge people. How many here? Now, that's one thing. I'm talking about if you've got a, a pastor or somebody on the staff and they're in sin, that's one thing, and they're not addressing and dealing with it. I'm just talking about when people aren't doing things the way you'd rather do it. It's not your druthers. You know what I'm talking about? Don't bail. Sit right there and say, God works in my character. Anywhere I've ever been, I have disagreed with lots of things that the church did and a lot of times I, I had one place I ministered and I, I, I didn't, you know, the pastor and I were direct opposing 
opposite um, personalities. And I, I, I thought I didn't. But you know what I found out when I left that place? I got more from him than a lot of other places as I was maturing in ministry because there was a side of his character I didn't have. And I didn't like it. I even almost despised it. But then I found out I needed it. Did you hear me? In fact, I look back on it now, and you know what? There are some elements of me that would not have developed as they are now had not, not I been around that person in that church at that particular time. So I'm just saying that, you know, relationships can be a huge character development. And just because the job's not satisfying, some people go from relationship to relationship, and they're not married. Or, or people that are married go from spouse to spouse, and they got a long string of divorces because something that's not satisfying to them, they never develop their character. At some point, you got to turn around and say, God, what do I need to change? How many hear me? And so, again, uh, we need to use these times where pressure comes as character development. Romans uh, eight eighteen. yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Passion translation of that 18, 19, Romans 8, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious Son sons and daughters. Message paraphrase of those same verses, 18 through 21. This is why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is uh, being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, joyful anticipation deepens that first part of that there's there's no comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times i like the way he said it then second corinthians 4 16 i've mentioned uh, some of this on Sunday mornings. This is why we never give, give up New Living Translation. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every single day. For our present troubles are small. Now that's a good perspective and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Things we see now will soon be gone. Things that cannot be seen will last forever. Message paraphrase says this, same verse, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the uh, inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. That's far more uh, there's four more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see will last forever. I'll close with this, and I thought I'd get further, but, um, you know, I look back, and, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. somebody said, and uh, when you're going through something, you don't understand what it's doing and how it's molding you and what it's, and what it's changing in your character. So my challenge for me and, and all of us is when you're in the hard place, step back and assess where you are and uh, look at look at what God look at the bigger picture of what God wants to wants to do in your life you know back in 1993 is when I began uh, taking uh, short-term missions trips 
uh, to other countries. And I've taken over 40 missions trips. I don't know, it's 40 one, two, or three, somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, some of them were a week, others were two weeks. I didn't have very many over two weeks. Those, those are short, I know that. But the places I went, I went all over India. I've been to Siberia twice. I've been to, been to Europe um, ministering, been to Latin America. And uh, then I've, I've spent a lot of time all over India, which is totally, and then spent a lot of time in, in uh, um, Africa. And I mentioned this to the men yesterday. And uh, uh, so, some of these trips were, uh, in fact, most all of them were particularly challenging for me. And I look back on that era of life, uh, and I would, uh, some, some years I was gone uh, many times two of these trips a year, sometimes three, not very many years, three, but nonetheless over a span from 93 to 2014, uh, over 40 trips, well, actually 2000, if you can include uh, Nicaragua and all that, probably uh, through 2019, now 19, uh, over 40 trips. And uh, so it, uh, let me give you a story. Back in uh, 2009, 10, uh, I usually had to go through um, uh, London, England uh, to, to make contact with another airline, and, and then either go to India or Africa. And uh, it's really challenging when you travel. And, and generally, uh, I really had to be on cue and, and make sure I make my... You miss one flight, you're done. I mean, it's like it upsets the whole apple cart and you lose your luggage. I've lost my luggage before. You, it doesn't show up and you got to buy clothes in another country. You wear them one time and they fall apart, yada, yada, okay? So uh, anyway... Uh, there was this one time I was in Africa. I was in Southern Africa. Uh, it was a grueling time. Nothing's comfortable. I don't even want to use uh, the term. I don't like to use the uh, term hotel room. These are these are are not hotels as you think. These are these are these are these are places with walls and ceilings and floors. I would not call it a hotel. It just you just can't describe what it's like. It's dirty, dingy. Uh, the bathroom, I won't even go there. Sometimes you didn't even have a lid on the toilet. I can't go there. I just don't want to talk about it. Terrible. The showers, indescribable. The sinks, indescribable. And so um, here's what usually happened on missions trips. Because not only was the physical part quite taxing, but then ministry was never, ever ever what you thought it would be, and particularly in Africa. And I didn't know this when I first started going. Africans have just a, a different concept of time. To them, and I know a lot of people in the States this way, but not me, to, Afri to the average African that lives in Africa, nothing is more important than right now. Nothing. I don't care what you got planned at 10 o'clock. You got a big meeting and that person's supposed to play the, you know, play the synthesizer or they're playing the drums or, or, or they're bringing an entourage of people. doesn't matter. If they're on the way to the meeting and, and somebody's donkey stuck in the ditch, you step right there with that person. You help them get that donkey out of the ditch, help them take that donkey home because he hurt his leg and you help them and then you help them get to the meeting. You might be 45 minutes to an hour late. It doesn't matter. And so all of the meetings, because of that, people would find everything possible not to be there on time. And it drove me batty. I mean, it happened so often. So we're supposed to start at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. We ended up starting the meeting an hour and a half later. It's like, Jesus, help me. I had all this stuff to preach. I usually couldn't even preach what I was going to. It was crazy. And I'm a teacher. And, I, you know, they're supposed to be receiving the word. And I didn't realize it, but during those times when I got so aggravated, 
God was working something much deeper in me. So I developed, and I had a whole sermon series I did, I think in 2010 on this. I haven't talked about it in a while. But I had this little thing, and I have mentioned it here on occasion, but um, uh, when I would get on the plane here in, in Raleigh to go wherever, I would mentally make a note and, and, and so to speak, say, click, I'm in missionary mode. And missionary mode meant nothing goes as planned. All of your plans are going to be set aside. And nothing will go the way you thought it would go. You're probably going to, not even going to preach the notes that you took weeks to prepare. Nothing is going to go as planned. The meals aren't going to go as planned. The person picking you up won't be on time. Everything's going to be awry. And you just mentally prepare for that. And, and you know what? I would get wherever I'm going, whether it's Africa, India, wherever. And it wouldn't bother me. Because I'm in missionary mode. Well, this was uh, maybe May of, uh, I have to go look at my journal, 2009. I um, uh, had my flashlight with me, always carry a flashlight. And I was on my pseudo bed and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting up on my pillow I brought with me uh, that's covered with micro blanket so I don't get critters on me. And I'm sitting up in my bed, and I'm reading John 15. I'll never forget. It was a transformative time. I'm reading John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches, you know, where Jesus talks about, you know, we get our life from him, and we can only ministers, we're attached to him, yada, yada. And, and I'm reading it, I'm reading it real slow, and I could, I could feel something inside. It's like, can we talk a minute? I said, and I knew it was the Lord. It's like, what do you want to talk about? And I kept reading. I read all of John 15, went back and read it over again. What you got? Well, what is this? What do you say? He said, you know that missionary mode thing you talk about? I said, yeah. And here's all he said. Don't turn the switch off when you get home. You get it? So all those trips I took, I look back on that, y'all. I could not do what I'm doing now if I hadn't have gone through that back then all of the aggravation, all of the, you know, untimeliness, all of the times I had to rearrange everything I planned to do, all of the, I, I just can't describe the, the just being put out with everything about it and just wanting to go home. It, it did something in me so deep that it literally changed a part of me and I don't ever want to go back there. So when I talk about things I talked about tonight, hardship, difficulty, things, round peg, square hole, things being like you don't want them to be or having a job or being in a place and nobody's acting like you think they should because you know how it ought to be done. I think back to all those times and what God did in me. So I just want to give you some encouragement that the challenging times of life and the people that challenge you the most may be the people that help you the most. Is that good? So close your eyes a minute. I'm done. I got a lot more to say, but we'll say it next time. Lord, thank you. Your grace is on all of us. Every person here is at a different place. And the Spirit of God is wanting to put his thumb on certain things in me and in all of us. And Lord, as we tool through life the next few days, weeks, months, I'd extrapolate it out into years. I ask you, May we remember and may we think about the fact that the times that our characters develop the most are often the times we like the least. And the very people that are our antagonists are the ones perhaps used by you to minister life to us because it forces us 
to go where we don't want to go, think like we don't want to think, and act like we don't feel like acting. Thank you. Lord, I pray for every person in the room, including me, the chaff that is occurring, the irritations that are happening. Lord, there are irritations in home life, and you're wanting to hone a character with those irritations. The irritations with children, the irritations in the room with jobs, the irritations with uh, siblings, the irritations with friends. There's even a person you're irritated at your homeowners association. Oh, God, what are you doing in us? I ask you in Jesus' name, let the Spirit of God remind us of these truths. And Lord, let the, let the character work develop in us until the spots and the wrinkles are removed. And we just give you thanks. We just give you thanks. We just give you thanks. Hallelujah. Did you get something out of that? I got a lot more to say, but I ran out of time. And uh, come back next time. I want to talk about uh, how you relieve the pressure and what God did in me to help relieve the pressure during those pressure points. And uh, it's, uh, it's changed me. And uh, I just don't think I'll ever be the same. Not that I'm perfect yet. I still think I got a long way to go. So, uh, you know, God uses all kinds of things to continue that care. How, can, how many can sense the Lord developing the character in you? Yes or no? How many want the process to continue? <laughs>